Amen. Woo-wee. Sometimes you just got to let it out. God is good. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 27. Are you all ready for some truth? Tired of being lied to? Yeah. Here we go. You know, um, in the works of John Owen, called Temptation and Sin, he makes the point that we have this constant enemy of the soul that, unlike Samson's enemy, is not only upon us, but is also in us. An enemy of the soul that is in us. You know, this left me kind of alarmed at the knowledge that the power of the indwelling sin is far greater than we realize. And as he points out, he says, when this law of sin is least felt, it is most powerful. Listen, sin always works by deception. By deception. Which makes it that much more powerful. So we need to be aware of how it works and how we can be on guard against it. And it should be of great comfort to us that when God paints a portrait of a man after his own heart, like David, he paints that picture for us with warts and all. We see all of the flaws in David's life. And because we see that in his life, and he's a man after God's own heart, we recognize, hey, I got a shot. I can do this. You can do this. Because God is with us, and God is greater than the sin that besets us. I think this is huge because, you know, I want to examine a time in David's life this morning when he got deceived by sin. And it happened very subtly, but it lasted for a year and four months, 16 months in David's life. And it ended at at a point which uh, David was at one of the lowest points in his entire life. And at that point, David took the path back to the Lord. See, David's experiences teach us that sin never comes to us and says, hey, would you like to ruin your life and the life of those around you? Then follow me. That's not how it happens. That's not what sin does. That's not how the enemy attacks us. Rather, sin comes to us usually when we're in a very difficult situation. When we're between a rock and a hard place. And it offers an attractive alternative. You think about Eve. Eve yielded to temptation because she saw that the forbidden fruit was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. Oh, she was deceived into taking what God said no and, and sin always catches us by deceiving us into thinking that we're going to get what we want. Now, during our times of stress, when things aren't going well and when we, we are stressed out about maybe finances or health or other things, God knows exactly 
how he is going to answer our need. He knows that. He's outside of the past, the present, and the future. He can see it all laid out before him, and he knows what our need is, and he knows how he's going to supply that need. He can see the future, and he knows the checks in the mail. The answer has already been given for that particular need. But here we are, worrying and sweating it out here below. See, God wants us to pray. He wants us to seek his face. He wants us to depend on him. But since he wants us to to grow in our trust, it must be all he can do not to immediately intervene. You see, only through his waiting, we grow. I like to say God is an on-time God, but he's usually not early. Part of that is he's wanting our faith, our trust in him to grow. See, I want to take David's life. I'd like to look at it and, and point out where we go wrong in our decision making in life, where, what we can expect when we make those decisions and how we can pick up the pieces and move on, move forward with God. See, I want to make these three observations as we look at these verses today and think about when godly people make dumb decisions. When godly people make dumb decisions. See, the, the, there's reasons for David's dumb decision. And this is kind of, it, it's spread out over three chapters, okay? So it's going to be 1 Samuel 27, 1 Samuel 29, and 1 Samuel 30, part of 1 Samuel 30. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'm going to read most of it. But uh, we're going to just take it uh, bit by bit here. But 1 Samuel 27, if you have your scripture and open it up to it, and we'll read together. And we're just going to kind of camp out here along the way. But it says, then David, then David said to himself, you ever have a discussion with yourself? If you start arguing with yourself, then that's a problem, I think. But it says, then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel and I will escape from his hand. We're going to pull over and park there for just a little bit. The problem here is David trusted in the wrong confidant. I mean, David is pictured as having a conversation with himself. And, and instead of turning to God in prayer, David turns to himself for counsel, and the advice he receives from his, himself is not wise. He trusted the wrong confidence. He also believed the wrong counsel. When David communed with his heart, he immediately forgot all of the promises, all of the great promises of the Lord that, ha- he had, that the Lord had made to him. I mean, you think about this. God had promised and anointed David that he would be king over Israel. Back in chapter 16. 
That promise had been confirmed by Jonathan, the king's son. It had been confirmed by Abigail, his wife, and it had also been confirmed by King Saul himself that David would be the next king. But all these promises are forgotten when David begins to listen to his own heart. And David even thinks that he knows what's going to happen in the future. He should have known that God is sovereign. God is a sovereign God who is in total control of all things past, present, and future. Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven, in earth, in the seas, and in all deeps. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. It says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works all things after the counsel of his will. David trusted in the wrong confidant. He believed the wrong counsel, and David reached the wrong conclusion. Because David listened to his heart, he chose to abandon the path of life and God had, that God had placed him on years before. He decided that he would be better off outside of God's will, fleeing to the land of the Philistines where he thought he would be safe from King Saul. You realize that David at this point in his life has been on the run from King Saul for eight years. He's been living in the wilderness. He's been sleeping in caves for eight years on the run from King Saul. Imagine the future king of Israel running to the enemy of God's people to beg for help. That's the kind of trouble David's heart got him into. There's a reason God put this in our Bible, in the Word, in the Scriptures. is because it tells us we cannot trust our heart. Beware of trusting your own heart. When we consult with our heart, listen to me now, we get into touch with our old human nature. Not the redeemed part of our spirit, but we get into our old human nature. And our old human nature is fallen, and it always looks at things from an earthly level. In Galatians 5.19, it says this, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. This is the old fallen man. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all things, all like these, all things like these, excuse me, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, when people say things like, well, I feel it in my heart, they're usually headed for trouble. That's why the Bible cautions us against trusting our heart. I would submit to you this morning that every heart is an idol 
I-D-O-L, an idol factory. It creates idols. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 28, 20, uh, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Even in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said this. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. See, when you talk to yourself, Be sure to talk to yourself about the things of God. Folks, we need to understand this. When someone says to you, just listen to what your heart is telling you or follow your heart, they have given you advice that can lead to spiritual wreck and ruin if you follow it. You see, your heart will say things like, this church is dead. Your heart will say things to you like, these people don't like you, or God is being unfair to you, or you would be better off if you stayed home or went somewhere else. Your heart will tell you things like, that preacher is mean. You're really missing out, or God doesn't even care about you. If he did, these things would not be happening to you. Your heart will tell you things like, just once won't hurt, or just a little won't matter that much. But many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your heart will trick you. It will deceive you. It will lie to you and lead you down the wrong path of life. If you listen to your heart, you will find yourself where David found himself. Outside of God's will, out of God's place for his life and out of God's fellowship. If you listen to your heart, you will find yourself living a life of spiritual compromise and you will find yourself a backslider on the outs with God. See, David made wrong decisions because he listened to his heart and it led him astray. Be very careful, family. Some of you are heading in that same direction today let's look at the results we got to move on here the results of David's decision uh, verse 2 and following I'm just going to read down through this the rest, the rest of the chapter there's uh, 10 verses 12 verses 11 verses something like that so it says verse 2 so David arose and he crossed over and the 600 men who were with him to Achish the son of Maok king of Gath and David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place 
in one of the cities in the country that I may live there for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag was belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and they raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times as you come to sure even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or woman alive and he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, where have you been, excuse me, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of the Jeremelites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell all about us, saying, so has David done, and he has practiced And so has been his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He surely has made himself odious or hated among his people Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. Wow. This is the result of David's decision from listening to his heart. In verse 2 and 3, you see here that the people in David's life were affected by his decision. Because of the foolish decision David made, everyone whose life touched David was affected as well. All 600 of his men, their wives, their families, their children, everyone around David was brought down by his decision. And all of those people who were brought into a place of compromise and temptation because one man listened to his heart instead of listening to the Lord. There are some dire consequences when we don't listen to what God tells us. You know, Romans 7, uh, excuse me, 14, verse 7, it says this. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. (laughs) I think that's big because that basically means that everything we do in our lives touches those around us. When a husband or a wife steps out of God's will, it affects their marriage. When one or both parents refuse to live by God's standards, it has impact on their children. People at school, people at work, people at church are touched by the way we live our lives. We never know who is watching or who might be hindered when we give in to the advice of the heart and we walk away, we step away from God. Not only were the people affected, but we also see the pattern of David's life was affected. I mean, his decision affected the people around him the very way David lived his life was altered. And, and, you know, initially you think about that and there's, there's a, some things that David was probably going, yeah, I made a good decision. Yeah, I, I did that. I made a good decision. I mean, when you think about it, he had some relief from the pressure 
of Saul always chasing him down. So that was gone. That was off the table. And so, yeah, it felt good not to have that pressure. But then there's acceptance from the world. I mean, in spite of the kind of things he had done for Saul, David had been rejected by Saul. And so now he's feeling acceptance. King Achish is like, oh yeah, yeah, you come and be my servant. And then he's got the comforts of life. After hiding in caves and living in the wilderness for eight years, now he finally has a place he can call home. And then there's the growing popularity. These men of valor, these mighty men were defecting from Saul's army and coming and joining David in the Philistine territory. And so eventually there was a great army around David and it probably felt so good. How could it be so wrong when it felt so right? Mm. You know, often when you begin running with the world, you receive the popularity that you never had when you were walking with God. In other words, his decision to walk away from the Lord changed him completely. I mean, look at some of the things the Bible reveals about this tragic time in David's life. Verse 4 says David lived with a false sense of security. He lived in, in, in Philistine territory, but he lived with a security that, ah, Saul will never chase me over here. He thought he was safe. In verse 5, David sought help and he, he ran with the wrong crowd. He literally aligned himself with the enemy. Mm. He literally aligned himself with the enemy. In verses 8 through 12, David did things that he would have never done before. I mean, he murdered. He wiped out these, these, these entire cities, these, these places where people were living. He wiped them out. He killed everybody in those cities because he didn't want any witnesses. And then he went back and he lied to the king. He's like, well, where have you done your raids today? And he lies to him. He tells him, oh, I was off in Israel. I was attacking my own people. The whole fabric of David's life was altered by the decision he made. He stayed there for 16 months. And I'm sure he stayed there longer than he anticipated. Did you know that during this time in David's life, there were no psalms written during this period of his life. It seems like the singer, the singer of Israel has lost his voice. And you know, when a believer makes that decision to step away from the Lord and from the place of blessing, their life will be affected in a negative way. You cannot turn away from God and go off into sin and not be affected. If walking away from the Lord does not alter your life, then I would question maybe whether you belong to him in the first place. Look at chapter 29. We're going to camp out here for a little bit and take it bit by bit. You see, the peace of David's life was affected. Someone once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. 
See, we are seeing the truth of that fleshed out in David's life. And in this passage, David has fallen about as far as a person can fall. He is out of God's will, he's off God's path, and he's actively working with the enemy against the people of God. But thankfully, David was not having a good time. You see, his sin affected the people in his life. It affected the pattern of his life, but it also affected the peace of his life. Look at uh, verses 1 through 5 here in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords, or the commanders of the Philistines, were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. So they're all marching towards Jezreel because there's going to be a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. David and his men are hanging back with the king. And the lords are concerned about that. And and then the commanders of the Philistines, verse 3, said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years, and I have found no fault in him from the day he deserted to me to this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back that he may return to his place where you have assigned him and do not let him go down to battle with us or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be the the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sing in the dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Folks, David here had lost his identity. He's marching to battle against Israel with the enemy of Israel. And and, and even the commanders are like, why is this guy with us? He might turn on us. He might might try and it might be a a plot to do us in. And so as he unites himself, he, he goes down to battle with them. But even the Philistines don't want him around. I mean, think about that. He's become offensive to them as well. He is literally a man without a country at this point. Verses 6 and 8. David reveals the depth with which he has fallen. The future king of Israel grovels at the pagan king's feet and declares himself to be the king's servant. I mean, think of this. You have the future king Attaching himself to a pagan king and calling himself his servant. He even says that the enemies of King Achish are David's enemies. But then the king in verse 9, he, he talks to David and, he, and he, he, David is declared to be a faithful servant by Achish. Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Verse 9, nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he must not go to battle with us. Now then arise, 
early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you. And as soon as you have risen early in the morning and have light, depart. And so David rose early and he and his men and they departed in the morning to return to the, to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went on up to, Je- went up to Jezreel. Man, David has fallen so far and he's about to reap the harvest of the wickedness that he has sown. Look in verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 1. It says, Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices, and they wept there until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives have been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Mm. David loses more than he could possibly imagine. The Amalekites decided to retaliate for the raid that David had made on them. Remember back in in chapter 27, verse 8 through 11? They decided to retaliate on him and they attacked his city that was given to him and they burned it and they carried off all of the people, his wives, his children, all of the wives and children of his 600 men. They carried them all off, all of the spoils, all of their, their, their sheep and their donkeys and their camels, everything they took. But understand this, those pagans showed more grace and more mercy than David did. The man of God, more, more mercy and grace than he had shown his enemies. And now you read verse 6. It says, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. Can you imagine They send you home so you go back to your home and you see smoke rising out of what used to be the city that was given to you. And you arrive there and everybody is gone, all of the stuff is gone, and the city has been burned. Those 600 men wanted to kill David because they recognized his dumb decision they were paying for. And he finally reaches the bottom. His men turn on him. They threaten to kill him. They they correctly realize that all of these tragedies are a result of David's dumb decision. His sin had taken everything away from David. I mean, what a frightening portrait of the power and the potential of sin in our lives. Everything we hold dear can be taken away. You and I may walk away from the Lord and go on your own way, but we will not do so without paying a high price. And my question this morning is, what will it cost you? 
Is the sin you are about to walk away from God to commit worth the price you're going to pay? Is it worth your spouse? Is it worth your children? Is it worth your ministry? Is it worth your good name? Is it worth your your power with God? Is it worth your health? Is it worth your life? See, before we make a dumb decision and move away from the Lord, we need to stop and consider what that decision is going to cost you. Oh, but thank God, thank you God, the story does not end there. In the verses that follow, we see the recovery from David's decision. Look at the last part of verse 6. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When David finally hits the bottom, when he has lost all that a man can lose, David looks toward heaven once again. He looks to God as he looks around and realizes all of the, the brokenness, all of these broken lives, all of the, the shattered lives that had everything to do with what he had done, that one foolish conversation with his own heart that followed by his dumb decision, David turns his eyes toward heaven and once again in humble repentance. Verse 7 says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired to the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where he left those behind, where those left behind remained. And and it, it, it is amazing what God does here. And most of what we have learned today from David has been a lesson in what a person should not do. But in this last part, David clearly shows us what we are supposed to do when we have allowed ourselves to be moved outside of God's will, when we have cut off the connection with God. It says that David returned to the Lord. Mm. When David hears the Lord's direction for his life, he doesn't hesitate, but he goes immediately to do what God said. Folks, that is obedience. When you hear a word from the Lord and you go do what God said, that's obedience. He's no longer walking in David's will. He's back in God's will, walking God's path once again, and David at this point has been fully restored. See, the first step in getting things right is repentance. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Everybody around him wanted him dead. Things got worse before they got better. He went back to the Lord. He repented. We need to go before the Lord and deal honestly with our sin. Psalm 51 talks about that. Proverbs 28 talks about that. 
See, when sin is confessed and handled God's way, he will forgive that sin and restore us. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, that is a blessing because there's not a believer in the world who does not fall into sin from time to time. But understand, God has made a way where we can be restored. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. If you've wandered away from God, you need to know that you can come to him today and find complete forgiveness and restoration. Did you notice the Lord's response to the repentance of David? David has been out of God's will for 16 months. He's been calling the shots. He's been doing his own thing. Then he repents before the Lord and deals with his sin. This is amazing. Notice when David calls out from the right spirit, the Lord instantly forgives, restores, and opens the line of communication between him and David. God's answer is swift, it's sure, and it's accurate. I mean, what a blessing. There is an earthly price to be paid for the sins that we commit. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. But when God forgives, he forgives immediately, completely, and eternally. See, I believe some people in this room need to experience that kind of grace today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. You know, regardless of how smart we may be, it doesn't matter how long we may have been saved. It doesn't matter how high we climb on a spiritual ladder. We are still capable of making dumb decisions. Some folks here today are in the process of probably doing that very thing. You've been listening to your heart and it's telling you lies. I'm trying to tell you that you need to get with God and to hear some truth before it's too late. Some things may have to play out in your life. There are consequences for our sin. But you can still have fellowship with the Lord and be restored today. There are some others who have never been saved. And listen, you're headed for the rudest awakening of all. If you will come to Jesus, he will save you and give you eternal life. And I know that, that we have spiritual needs today. But I ask the question, who has the spiritual courage to come before the presence of the Lord and get those needs taken care of? We're all sinners, saved by grace. In God's eyes, we are saints. Sometimes we need 
to come to him in repentance, asking him to forgive us. So I say this morning to you, listen to his voice. Listen to his voice, not your own heart. Listen to his voice and do as he says to do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for how your word challenges us. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would take it and use it in our lives.